What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That is right. We are back again on the Sports Card Show podcast. So hopefully you guys didn't miss us over the last few months. And the good news is, if you did miss us, there are a lot more. I mean, we started this podcast uh, nearly 10 years ago now. And so if you've uh, been with us from the beginning, this is your 10th year. If you spent a decade listening to the show, I appreciate it. If you just picked us up in the last year or two as, as baseball cards and collecting seems to, uh, I don't want to say it's gotten uh, more popular, but definitely with, um, you know, we'll talk obviously a little bit about Otani uh, today. I haven't heard the, the latest and greatest, but last I heard he might be out till 2020. So that might, we might have to hit the pause button on the uh, old uh, 2000 2018, uh, you know, prices on all these boxes, but might be actually kind of good if you were actually looking to, you know, not necessarily hit the Otanis, but collect all the Royals cards in there, collect all the Giants cards or whatever it might be. You actually might be, um, and it might actually be good that it cools off a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens, but we'll definitely talk about that. That's definitely um, something that we'll talk about. But, the, you know, welcome into the podcast, 10th year. Um, like I said, uh, when we first started this show, the, I, I think I started it because there there weren't many podcasts. And quite frankly, podcasts 10 years ago um, were a lot more nascent and far more difficult to access than they are today when they're in the pocket of, you know, pretty much everybody that has a smartphone. There are other shows out there, two that I want to make you aware of. Um, one that you're probably aware of uh, that's been kind of on and off, but last I checked, they had an episode recently, and that's the Mojo Break podcast. So I think if you go to mojobreak.com, you'll be able to find the links to their show there. Uh, it might even be like a YouTube thing where you can find it on YouTube as well. These are non-paid. These people didn't send me an email or send me a check. That God knows they didn't send me a check. If they sent me a check, I'd have lead it out. I would have got someone on Fiverr and a professional voiceover and some music and some fireworks and stuff like that, but uh, not a whole lot of checks coming my way uh, in terms of the podcast. Not that we really uh, stick our hands out for them, but anyways. Uh, the other show you're probably definitely not aware of is About the Cards. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what the podcast can be called, um, but that is what the Twitter is called. And so usually with new podcasts, they're kind of hard to find. I think this one's going to be a live show. Um, I, again, I, I, you know, you, in between Trump, you know, saving the world from nuclear disaster, uh, my Twitter stream has been rather full recently. So, but uh, at About the Cards, they don't have a show. I mean, as you listen to this, they probably have their first show up. So it's supposed to be a live show every Wednesday. And by the time this show up will come out, uh, unless these two uh, get cold feet at the last minute, um, I think there's two or three hosts, and, and one of them is a listener to the to the program. So wanted to point those out for you. And since we go through mo- several months breaks and, you know, um, when you're in your 10th year of podcasting, you, you know, you know firing up the mic every other night, uh, not quite uh, always uh, at the top of my mind, especially now that I got kids, I got an old house, and I got, you know, things that I'm into. Uh, So, you know, time is a little slim. So we'll make the most of our time. We'll talk about baseball cards today. We'll talk about Otani getting his art. We'll talk about um, actually a couple quotes. I'll actually have some production value for, for you today. I'll actually play... Um, a, uh, you know, a quote from Otani. This was several months ago. Uh, my take on Otani. So we'll talk about that. Refresh your guys' memory. Since I know you guys have got UV coding, you know, embedded into your bloodstream because you've, you've handled so many baseball cards and basketball cards and football cards uh, during the first half of this year and over the course of your lifetime, your hearing and other functions are starting to fade. So I'll refresh your memory. Talk about the selling strategy that I'm still going to employ. You know, I've got pre-order for um, all tops baseball, and I'm not going to take it off. I'm not going to call my distributor and say, "Oh God, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to buy the boxes, guys. I can't afford the thousand dollars or whatever it is." Um, I could see if you're, you know, lined up for 30, 40 cases, maybe you're, you're definitely, uh, sweating it out a little bit, but, um, cash flow is good enough over here at sports card radio that we can, um, you know, we can handle some ups and downs. I also think, you know, 
one man goes down, another man steps up. There's going to be plenty of other people, um, obviously not to the level Otani was at, but um, you know, just looking casually around baseball, I do watch baseball every night. I do watch the same team over and over, so the, you know, I am limited to who I get to see. But there are some good young prospects out there, including I think a 19-year-old in Washington right now who I bought some of his cards in the offseason for 50 cents, and now they sell for about 10 bucks each. So um, things can happen. Guys can come up, and guys can go down, and so we'll talk about that. Uh, the next topic, one of the good parts of having a sports card show podcast around for 10 years, we get suggestions to the show. If you have a topic that you want me to talk about, you can uh, tweet me at Sports Card Radio. You can email us at Sports Card Show at gmail.com you can text us will you would you believe it you can text us um and that text number is now this this just everybody's waiting with uh bated breath i'm actually gonna have to figure out how where i can find this number it's on my website so it's taking me a minute to pull up this tech you can text sports card radio 702-900-2149 send a text don't call. You can call. No one's going to answer. But send a text, 702-900-2149. Any show topic ideas, any uh, questions that you might have, um, Have you know, having listeners suggest topics is the reason why we have this show today. I, I don't think if this, this listener hadn't emailed me, probably wouldn't be sitting here recording this podcast. So the topics do help. This comes from Bum Cardner on Twitter, prolific Madison Bumgarner, but really a Tim Lincecum collector has few uh, like rare Tim Lincecum guards. You you might have to push down your your pants a little bit when you look at this guy's stream. But anyways, Mike Trout values. Talk about that. You know we've got Mike Trout kind of in the you know definitely in the prime of his career, but you know it's gonna at some point here start showing his age. I mean I don't think he's that old yet, but. Um, in the you know the near distant future, you can see his his play declining, and if he doesn't win a World Series, and if he doesn't, uh, you know maybe knock out a couple more MVP awards or whatever it is. But definitely, I think doing something in the playoffs um, would definitely be be high on the list of of accomplishments that would set him into the stratosphere once again. Not that he his cards aren't as uh, Vegas Dave, uh, but you know what are his values going forward? We've seen a lot of baseball players. On the trajectory of Mike Trout, Ken Griffey Jr., um, Barry Bonds, uh, Derek Jeter, in other sports, Michael Jordan, and we'll talk. I'll talk about his values, where I think they'll go, um, more specifically, um, the types of cards or the specific cards that I think uh, collectors will gravitate to, and what they might what other cards might not appreciate and value quite as much as the others. Talk about that. And then, gosh, I don't have a whole lot else other than that, honestly. I mean, we've, we've really t- co- covered some ground over the last couple months. We've had tops for sale. We've got the cardboard connection guy going off the rails again. Um, that's an ongoing saga. I'm sure that'll be something um, not necessarily that I touch on, but I'm sure you can head on over to sportscardradio.com and find my brother's podcast. He'll talk more in depth about that stuff. We've got the NBA draft coming up and the NBA offseason coming up. So we'll talk br- maybe briefly about that. Might throw in that sports betting is quote-unquote legal now in the United States, or at least, uh, I mean, it was legal in Nevada. Now other states can basically legalize sports betting. And so uh, I think that will impact uh, baseball cards a little bit. Uh, got it. And actually, probably a little bit in a lot of different ways. If you think about it, like if people are sports betting and they're into it, that means people are more into sports and kind of watching them in the outcome. And certainly, you know, the I, I think there there could be a correlation. The, the more interested you are in a sport, the more likely you are to be a baseball or basketball or football card collector. So there could be some fringe benefits of people getting more interested in sports. Now, the other obvious disadvantage is instead of spending $40 on a baseball card, 
I'll put $40 on the Lakers to make the playoffs or $40 on the game tonight or the over and under or whatever it is. So we'll see if those kind of things materialize. And finally, I don't know what the Make America Great Again segment is, but we'll probably brief. We have to. I mean, there's so many of you guys that uh, will listen to whatever any Democrat comes up and tries to tell you, oh, God, you know, they just passed a tax reform bill and they're going to send you some crumbs. And, uh, oh, God, unemployment doesn't, you know, low unemployment doesn't mean much to me. I think that's what uh, the leader of the Democratic Party, at least the Congress, said, uh, you know, lower unemployment means nothing to her. So (laughs) there you go, guys. That's half the audience there that buys into that argument. But anyways, moving on to Otani, my boy, got hurt. Looks like, uh, again, I haven't heard the latest and greatest. Last I saw on Twitter, he might be out till 2020. I think he's going to be reevaluated in a few weeks. That's not good unless he has some superhuman uh, growth hormone that he'll inject into his body. I, don't, I doubt um, we'll see Otani play uh, for the rest of the season. And the Angels obviously will be in a predicament when he is healthy, when he can't come back. Do they even allow him to pitch anymore? Does he just turn into a hitter? And obviously after a year and a half or two years goes by, no one's even going to care about Otani anymore. So there'll be, you know, and that's something we might talk about in the Mike Trout segment is, you know, people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And so... You know, people are already jumping off the Otani bandwagon. But I must say, given that the Sports Card Show podcast has been around in its 10th year, we've had probably our fair share of swings and misses. But I must say that we did nail the Otani situation as this is a clip that I'll play for you right now. This is a clip from the show published April 26th. I think it's always been people's fascination that you could have a guy be a pitcher and a batter. And this guy's come over here after spending, I think he's like maybe 23, 24 years old, I'm not 100% sure. But this guy's come over here and he's doing it. My biggest concern is that he's going to get hurt. I think that, that it, you know, number one, he's coming over here. Pro- I, I don't know what the season's like in Japan. I don't know what his conditioning is like. But it's probably a little bit harder and longer grind to go through an MLB season. Probably a lot more travel. Definitely a lot more attention, a lot more pressure to perform. And that kind of thing can cause injury. And certainly if you're pitching and you have any kind of elbow trouble or you get hit by a line drive or something like that, all of a sudden, that takes his bat out of the lineup. So the Angels are going to be in a probably a pretty good situation where they're like, damn, do we let this guy keep pitching with the risk of blowing out an elbow, blow, doing a Tommy John, rotator cuff, getting hit, broken bone, and then that removes his bat out of the lineup, or do we just bat him but then lose his 100-mile-per-hour fastball and, you know, 93-mile-per-hour sinker. So, as you can see, um, it, you know, anybody that, that – again, I, I kind of – I would say baseball is probably, you know, close up there with football in terms of how closely I follow it. Um, definitely after basketball. And if Tiger Woods is playing, definitely after golf. But it was obvious that this guy was going to get hurt. And if you put your financial uh, you know, life on the line by buying some of his cards, heaven forbid bought any of his cards and actually paid for them, these, these thousands and thousands of dollars, you're a moron. If you've been selling his cards, chances are, um, you know, selling his cards or selling the boxes or the spots into a break or whatever, chances are you've probably been doing pretty good. Hopefully you didn't overextend yourself into the back half of the year, since this is often something that happens. Guys get hurt. The products become oversaturated. When they're really red hot in the beginning of the year, then all of a sudden everybody and their brother, everybody in a podcast house puts in pre-orders for it. And all of a sudden it gets diluted. There's 55 million different parallels. And people lose interest. The, the die-harders get, get a little tired of it. 
and the price goes down. So definitely I see that happening um, as, as um, the season moves on. I do think that we'll have other rookies emerge, obviously. They've got like Juan Soto, and I think you've got Vladimir Jr. There's, and there's many, many, many others. That you know, again, they're not their cards aren't going to sell for fifteen grand or whatever. You know, one out of ninety nine is not going to sell for five figures. But there's definitely going to be some uh, you know valuable cards in there, and Otani's cards are still going to hold some value, uh, just not quite the enormous value they they were at at one time. So, to me, the strategy all along, and again, I said this on a previous show as well. I, you know, I'm a li- you know, you only get one in your when you're in your tenth year recording podcast. You only have you know the energy to do one uh, little clip there. I could play the other clip talking about the real way to make money during these kinds of times when Tops is really producing a, a you know a lot more when you know when you've got thirty something parallels in Bowman. That means. They made a ton of it. There was a ton of, not just they made a ton of it, there was a ton of pre-orders for it. means there was a ton of interest in buying it. And so there's going to be a lot of those cards open up. Guess what that's going to mean? I mean, we're talking about millions of cards. Think about it. When a pro- we're talking about just one product like Bowman, let alone, you know, Panini's got 10 sets that came out in the last week and Topps got other sets. We're talking about millions and millions and millions of cards being opened up. Now, a lot of them probably go into a cardboard box. You certainly could sell those. A lot of them are going to go into soft sleeves. You certainly could sell those. A lot of them are going to go into top loaders and one touches and snap tights and all different types of products that associate themselves with a, you know, a warm or a hot baseball card market and the, the analogy that i tend to use is in the gold rush the guys mining for gold didn't make any money the people that made money were the people selling them the equipment the shovels the wheelbarrows the tires the mining equipment the land whatever it is anything but the gold itself so if you're out there trying to bust these packs sell spots open the cards buy the cards yourself and flip them you're further down the food chain than you really ought to be. And really, the safe place to be is in the picks, axes, shovels, wheelbarrows of the baseball card market. Because Otani gets hurt. Guess what? I haven't seen a drop-off in my sales. I sell mostly supplies. Things like that. Sleeves deck protectors, all those types of things, binder pages. See, these are all um, top of the food chain type of items to sell when the baseball card market is hot. And so we'll see. It'll be interesting to to see what happens going forward. I'm certainly going to be a part of it. I know I was allocated um, several of the upcoming Topps products, including Bowman. Uh, I think there's a clearly authentic product that's coming out. Update Baseball. Uh, there was several sets that I was um, allocated product for. Some, you know, honestly, like some of it was like I got a box or two. Some of it, it looked like I got a full case. I think with Bowman, I got over a full, I think, yeah, I got a full case of the jumbos and the regular. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm at the, you know, I'm I'm at a point where I, I you know, I'm not going to be, you know, feeding my family off the, you know, I was really just uh, kind of testing the waters on, on this kind of stuff. Um, I have had success. I will talk. I will say that I, so what I did, this was a couple months ago. And so, and I don't know if this is going to be a viable, I'm going to talk uh, really quickly about possibly a viable strategy for kind of flipping cards. Definitely, again, not a put a food on the table type thing, but maybe you get in a spot like I am where you're pre-ordering some products you thought, you know, there was maybe a, a 50% chance you could just call a group breaker or put them on eBay or flip them really quick, maybe even on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. I could flip a really hot Otani product, um, you know, without even really lifting a finger. 
Um, now with a, maybe a lukewarm to maybe a, so, a really softer card market um, going forward with Otani being out, we'll see how again how that really affects the value and the demand for these products on the secondary market. Um, you know, now I'm stuck with this stuff. So again, it's like a case here and there. It's you know, eight hundred to a thousand dollars here and there. It's not that big big of a deal. Um, but certainly I don't need, you know, I don't need that to, to stack up 10 boxes high and all of a sudden I've got $10,000 worth of baseball cards sitting in my house. I mean, that's stupid. So I've got to move them. And one thing that I did a couple months ago is I pre-ordered Donruss Optic Basketball. Now, because I'm an on, only an online seller, I can't pre-order hobby boxes from Panini. I can pre-order through Tops, and I think a couple other manufacturers allow it. But Panini only allows you to pre-order if you have a hobby shop. And I think maybe after 30 days, I can buy whatever's in stock. I don't think there's a, a restriction there. But then there's a restriction on selling it. So I can't put the boxes on Amazon. I can't, I'm not technically, I don't think I'm technically supposed to put them on eBay. And if I do, I think they're supposed to be at a certain price. Again, I'm not 100% sure on this, but one thing that I did was I pre-ordered a little bit of Donruss Optic basketball blaster boxes. So not the hobby boxes, but the little retail boxes. I can't remember off the top of my head what they were uh, wholesale, but I want to say maybe $12 to $14, somewhere in that range. And I think they retail for $20 to $25 uh, either at Target or on the secondary market. I don't think they went up in value a ton. So what I did is you can actually go to the Sports Card uh, Radio um, YouTube page. I think you could maybe find a link to that on our homepage if you can't find it um, by searching on YouTube itself. But I actually opened up uh, all, I think I got maybe five or six boxes. So it was really only about 70, I was probably only in all five boxes for about 70, $75. It really wasn't a huge commitment financially. So I opened the, the packs up and then what I did was is check out my cards has a service where they'll process cards that are in its current year. So, like, check out my cards. I think they could clean up their, you know, the way they, at least the way they present their fees and stuff on their website. I think that they've gotten a little bit better, but... Um, I'm actually bringing it up on the, the website right now because I do want to tell you guys, and I think they could like really, really show it a little bit better. But anyways, so current year trading cards. So they have this, you know, they have a couple different tiers of trading at check on my cards. What I'm going to talk about specifically is current year trading cards. So this is anything, obviously, as you're listening to this now, anything in 2018, it's really anything in the last uh, calendar year or so. Obviously, go to check out my cards to find the details. But they have this current year select service where in one week, they'll put the cards up for only $0.60 a card. And I say only. Obviously, if the card is only going to sell for $0.75 or a dollar or $1.50, it's not really worth it for that $0.60. But obviously, if you have the hot new basketball product and you've hit a couple decent cards... That $0.60 is not bad. And then they have a current year basic where it's $0.30 a card. And that's the same price as their two-month service on standard trading cards. So Check Out My Cards really has tiered, uh, set aside a tier because they value getting the current year cards. Um, they, they probably find that the, the sales of that, and that's probably something that is demanded most by Check Out My Cards users. The other thing you got to remember is Check Out My Cards... Having money on check out my cards, you know, you often have money uh, sitting on there through sales that come through and then there's big, big, you know, spring cleaning type sales that, that really dump maybe a lot of money or maybe you run a sale or a port sale. And, you know, it is taxing. It's a 20% tax essentially to cash out of check out my card. So, uh, you know, I could imagine a lot of people that have accounts on there probably have money on there. So I have found... Through my Donruss Optic bag, and this is only a couple boxes, and I only sent, I think I sent in, I sent in 20 different cards. Um, I think I've sold through over half of them. I sold a card just recently. It was actually a gold parallel of uh, Kawhi Leonard, and it was numbered out of 10. Now, this is a card I probably could have, you know, I probably could have dicked around and, and, and counter offered and really got 
you know, maybe a little bit more money for it, but I didn't give them $30 for it. And, and the reason why I took 30 is I only paid $75 for all five boxes. So there's half my money back basically right there. I sold another autograph for 20 Sold, I think I had a Jason Tatum that I sold during kind of his playoff roughs for 6 or $7. I pulled a Donovan Mitchell parallel that I sold for $12. So you can see really quickly, even after adding up the check on my cards fee, which I think was only about $12, and what I paid for the box is about 80 I already had that back in sales. Now, I have a stack of cards over here that I really should list, but I also pulled you know, a couple Lonzo Balls. I pulled a Kyle Kuzma that I haven't sold yet. I pulled a parallel of... The Kid for the Kings, De'Aaron Fox. And I think those, the actually, the parallel cards are probably a little underrated. The par, the optic parallel um, in in Donruss basketball this year. Um, so you have the base card, and then you have kind of the refractor or optic parallel. Those are pretty hard to hit on those rookies. And so I'm kind of holding on to that one. I mean, I think it's a $10 card pretty much as it sits right now. But if De'Aaron Fox, you know, I, I just don't really see the Kings making a lot of noise next year. So he really has to do it statistically wise. And again, I don't know if he'll do that, but I think he'll do enough to where I'll be able to move that card at some point and feel good about it. So there's an example. Okay. Did I make any money? Probably not. Not yet. If you count my shipping in to check out my cards. Um, but again, I'm really lazy. What I really should have done is I should have put all my extras. I should have just put a lot on eBay or kind of, you know, figure out a way to kind of nickel and dime the rest of them and got, you know, maybe $20, $25 for the rest. Of the, I probably could have you know, at the time I could have gotten probably twenty twenty five dollars for the rest of the lot of cards. Now we're probably you know we're several months in. Everybody has these cards already, so they've depreciated um, quite a bit because you're, they're just your common refractor and, and kind of base hits. So we'll we'll see. I, I essentially, um, but what I did was I took a situation where I had some basketball product where really I couldn't set I couldn't really sell it. You know, without again, I don't want to sell a fifteen dollar blaster for nineteen ninety nine, or you know twenty two ninety nine, and have you know my my distributor account shut down. So I want to follow the rules. I want to make sure I'm doing everything on the up and up. So I felt the best outcome was just to open the cards, see what I got. If I got any cool, if I got a cool Lonzo Ball card or Kyle Kuzma, I probably would have kept it. Um, on me, but um, because it was just base hits of them and, and base hits uh, and, and parallels of, of guys that I, I don't really um, want to collect or have any interest in collecting, um, flipping them on check on my cards definitely recouped um, a portion of my money. So I feel like I've already kind of free rolling on the, on the cards that I have sitting here. And again, kind of a long-winded way to say, I think you could think about this um, we, when we're talking about, um, this year's tops baseball. So maybe you're on the hook for pre-orders. Maybe you've kind of overextended yourself already. Well, um, you know, th think of some other ways you can, uh, sell them also, um, hold, you know, if you can afford to hold on, you know, I don't recommend holding on to thousands and thousands of dollars worth of this stuff. I think you really are probably more beneficial of turning your money over and really um, rotating your inventory over, whether it's cards or boxes or spots in a break or whatever it is. Turning your inventory and really turning your money over as more often is probably better than just sitting on this stuff. But I, you know, I think uh, a year or two later, this stuff still has some value. And we've seen plenty of guys come back from uh, Tommy John surgery and be as good or better and Otani certainly has age on his side that he'll more than likely come back. But again, at what interest does he, he garner at that point? Is he just a hitter then? Is he just a pitcher? What do they decide to do? What happens? Certainly something that will follow, um, you know, kind of being attached to the hobby, even if you're not an Angels fan or an Otani fan in particular. Talking about another... Angels player here. So we'll talk about Mike Trout. This again comes in from a listener of the show, Bum Cardner on Twitter. Go ahead and follow him. Again, if you're in a connoisseur of Madison Bumgarner cards or Tim Lincecum cards, you'll be impressed with his collection. 
he asked essentially, I don't have it up here, um, but essentially what he asked was, you know, Mike Trout's on fire right now. And it's kind of been a steady climb for him. You know, he was in the minors. People, you know, people that were really into prospecting already knew about him then, were already kind of stacking up his cards then. And it, it's just kind of gone up from there. Just I'm sure if you had kind of a steady graph, it's just been like, you know, kind of like the stock market the last 10 years, just steadily up in value. And it's kind of like, you know, kind of gets to the question like, okay, where is it going to, you know, could it keep doing that for the next 30 years, 40 years? And if you look at Mickey Mantle cards or Babe Ruth cards or certainly Jackie Robinson cards or Roberto Clemente cards, Willie Mays cards, it's, again, not all Willie Mays cards. I'll, talk, I'll expand on this more in a second. Not all Willie Mays cards, not all Mickey Mantle cards, not all Babe Ruth cards, not all Michael Jordan cards have gone up in a straight arrow since the beginning of time, uh, essentially. Um, And I think the same is going to be true for Mike Trout. So what do I mean here? There are holy grail cards for each athlete. Some are more rare. Some are harder to find. Some are not hard to find at all. Michael Jordan rookie card. Most of us that's been collecting over a long period of time have at very least held one of these cards in our hand. Many of us have owned it. Many of us may have owned several of them. Many of us may remember pulling them out of packs. I don't know. Same with Ken Griffey Jr. His most iconic card, one of the most iconic cards of all time, the 89 Upper Deck Rookie Card, number one. It's not a rare card, okay? Everybody's pretty much had one. Um, you know, Upper Deck made millions of them, okay? There's tons of them out there. But that's his most iconic card, kind of considered his Holy Grail card. And if you look at, you know, especially graded versions of it, it's appreciated uh, very nicely over the years. And so there are Holy Grail cards. Again, Michael Jordan, Ken Griffey, easy to get. Hannes Wagner's Holy Grail card, not at all easy to get. Mike Trout's Holy Grail card, do I know what it is off the top of my head? Probably one of his Bowman cards. Um, but I think he has Sterling and, and a couple other sets that, that I'm sure are not cheap either. Um, I think you're going to have that core autograph rookie card of Mike Trout is going to appreciate over time. And, and it's possible, again, athletes do really, d- people do really dumb things. Athletes tend to do extraordinarily dumb things. And Mike Trout certainly could fall into that that camp. There's also that act after baseball. You know, I've seen, you know, there's been athletes that were thought of one way during their playing career, then they get into coaching. And they're thought of completely different, um, depending on how well or, or not not well the coaching goes. Or they get into broadcasting. Or they fade away into the, you know, the ranch, uh, you know, in Montana. Nobody ever hears from them again. So depending on what Mike Trout does after his career, certainly will have an impact on on where his values go. But I could certainly see his card values on his top echelon card certainly continue to trend up over the years. Will his just random 2016 autograph out of Topps Update continue to go up or a random swatch jersey card of his that was pulled out of some 2018 product or 2019 or 2020 product. Will that continue to go up year after year? I would strongly bet now that sports betting is, is, you know, quote unquote legal, I would bet a lot of money that no, the ancillary insert jersey card, random autograph card will not just steadily go up in value year after year after year. In part because this listener made the point that these guys sign a lot, a lot, you know, they sign at card shows, they sign before and after games, they sign for charities. When they retire, who knows, you know, how much they'll sign. Look at Pete Rose and, and, you know, Joe Montana certainly too. A lot of these guys sign a lot of stuff. Just sign, 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 sign. So I don't think, and I think you can look at Griffey and kind of see the same thing. You know, has his 89 upper deck, you know, BGS 9.5s and and pristines and stuff like that. Have they done well over the last couple years? Absolutely. Has Mickey Mantle's original 1956 or whatever, 55 Bowman cards and 
and you know anything pre nineteen seventy of his has it appreciated over the years? Absolutely. Part because there you know there was only maybe a handful of Mickey Mantles to collect every year, especially early on. That's why I think you have a little bit broader range. Same with Mike Trout. He's got, you know, yeah, he has a couple Holy Grail rookie cards through Bowman, but he's got a couple other cards too, maybe even some non-autograph stuff um, from that season. Again, I, off the top of my head, I don't, don't, don't know his rookie year. But um, just shows you how much I don't care about uh, American League Baseball, but also Mike Trout. But I think I, you know, I think I can accurately say that his card values are going to mirror Anybody else that came before him, Ken Griffey Jr.'s cards, Derek Jeter as well. Derek Jeter, I remember checking my cards when Derek Jeter was playing. The easiest thing to do was whenever there was a sale or a guy got tired of his cards or whatever, the easiest thing to do was go to his port and buy all his Derek Jeter cards that he had half off. And you buy them and you price them up a little bit. And two days later, they'd all sell. That doesn't happen uh, as much. Okay, I've noticed Jeter cards... Uh, again, the broad range of Jeter cards, uh, really not as desirable as they were a couple years ago. Same thing with Brett Favre. When Brett Favre was playing, God, you could flip those things super easy. Even maybe a year after he stopped playing, you could flip those things super easy. Now, Brett Favre, the Brett Favre market is much, much softer. Again, this is on the broad range, just random card, random insert. But Derek Jeter's 93 SP foil card, Oh my God, that card continues to to go up. I think it actually, I think one of them, I I don't know this for a fact, but I think uh, a sale of that card broke a record not too long ago. Michael Jordan as well. We've seen, you know, he's had a contract with Upper Deck for a long time and he's pretty much, whenever Upper Deck comes out with a set, it's like him and Tiger Woods and, um, you know, really him and Tiger Woods that are kind of holding up the value. You know, really, you know, it's like every case you get a Jordan or a Tiger Woods. So there's a lot of just random Jordan stuff out there. But Michael Jordan's rookie card continues to go, especially high-grade, high-mint, um, you know, nice rookie cards continue to trend up in values. Okay, some people likely blame it, and I believe this too, on kind of coordinated shill bidding or coordinated price control. And you certainly can do this. This is certainly the game Vegas Dave is playing with Mike Trouts and, and you know, kind of, cor- and I think he's doing it with Derek Carr, where he kind of buys enough of the supply where he is controlling pretty much anything that is for sale. And he can pretty much um, control the price at that point as, as long as there's people willing to pay. It's, a, you know, definitely a dangerous game to play. Derek Carr doesn't pan out um, or, you know, Mike Trout, you know, people, you know, just aren't desire, you know, desiring to, to pay tens of thousands of dollars for his cards. They'd rather, you know, maybe buy Otani or buy somebody else or maybe buy a lesser trout, maybe not spend quite that much money. Um, they don't have to have the, the one out of 10. They can have the one out of 20 or whatever. Um, so th- those are hard things to judge. But I think what is easy to judge is wh- what determine what the player's holy grail card is. Typically in baseball, it's going to be a Bowman, first Bowman kind of card, first Bowman autograph. In basketball, I mean, it dep- again, it depends on what era you're talking about. Um, and even, you know, it, I think LeBron James is kind of an interesting example because he was kind of towards the tail end of, of when you had a basketball, kind of multiple manufacturers in there. But he was an exclusive with Upper Deck. And only his, his autographs and his jerseys were only found in Upper Deck products. But you look at like, Tops Chrome basketball, you know, um, LeBron James cards sell for a tremendous amount of money um, for a card that has no autograph or, or no, um, I don't even think most of them have serial number on them. So um, the key thing to do, though, is if you, if you are in for a player for the long haul and on top of that, you look at it kind of as an investment that you either want to pass this down to somebody and have somebody be like, wow, this is awesome. You know, instead of getting like a box, you know, I think we've all felt this uh, feeling when, when a family member or somebody or friend of a friend says, oh yeah, I got some baseball cards. Um, I'm just going to bring them over. And, and oftentimes they kind of just leave them or you, you end up with them and you're like crossing your fingers. You're like, God, I hope these are the Mickey Mantles and the 
um, you know, the, 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 the Lou Gehrig's and Joe DiMaggio's. God, I hope that's what's in these boxes. And you always open it up, and it's 88 Fleer and 89 Donruss and 89 Tops and 1991 Fleer. And uh, there's maybe one card in there that sells for, for 83 cents on Check Out My Cards, and, and that's it. And one hasn't sold in three years. So <laughs> pick the Holy Grail card. Fi- find the Holy Grail and um, go from there. That's what I would do if I was um, you know, looking at it. Hey, I'm going to collect Mike Trout. Again, it's hard to do with Mike Trout. It's a lot easier to do with Mickey Mantle. A lot easier to do with any baseball player, say, pre-1990 or so. Pre-1990-ish. With basketball, again, for a lot of guys, it's that eight, I think it's 86, 87 Fleer. And, you know, in the modern times, it's definitely kind of the national treasures. Um, even I've noticed guys would much rather have the national treasures numbered out of 99 than the national treasures numbered out of 25, or it's the horizontal one or whatever. There's the classic base national treasures rookie um, sells very extraordinarily well. And certainly, if you're, you know, if you're not at that level where it's, you know, I was looking the other day, I think Brandon Ingram's national treasure, you know, Brandon Ingram's kind of a a decent example of a guy. He's not a superstar, but he's not, not terrible. He's a good player, probably will be an all-star at least a few times in his career and plays on arguably the most popular team in the league. You know, his, his card's worth 15, 1600 bucks. That's a lot of money. Okay, then you know, I don't think I would spend that kind of money on a single card on a single player. But there's all this other little stuff in basketball. And if you're looking for the quick flip, if you're like gonna play Trout for a year or play Otani for a year or play, you know, enter any prospect's name, Josh Rosen, for a year, you know, you can play around with all the little cards. You know, you've got to get lucky. Um, and, and sell them at the right time or liquidate a, a large portion at the right time. Um, but to me, I actually like that game. Uh, you know, do I want to s- tie up my money? The problem with a, you know, buying a Mike Trout for a thousand or, you know, whatever they sell for, um, gosh, you're tying up a lot of money. And if you have like a 20 year outlook on a 30 year outlook on it, that's a, that's a long time. Um, and, and yeah, maybe after 20 years, you, you, you 200 or 300% that investment, but, and that might sound like a lot, but gosh, if, if month over month, I can turn that a thousand in, uh, you know, just chip it up a couple percentage point each month, keep reinvesting in chop, 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 you know, it actually come out way ahead, way faster. Um, you know, kind of doing, having maybe littler scores than trying to hit the home run, hit the Holy grail. So obviously with that strategy, you've got to look to liquidate when, when you're just like in trading stocks or something, you've got to know, you know, a lot of people have trouble selling stocks for less than what they paid for them. But, um, you know, the most experienced and and most savvy traders always get out, uh, you know, when, when, when the market goes against them and the stock goes against you, you learn that it's far better to just get out and move on than to sit there and hold and hope. And that's certainly what I think as I, you know, kind of survey the community and listen to other people's opinions, most people in the hobby are holding hopers. They get a card. There's a little bit of sentimental value and sentimental attachment to it for whatever reason. And you don't move it quickly. But um, for the people that are really turning and burning this stuff, I think that's where, um, you know, again, if you want to play the Mike Trout is going to keep going up game or want to play the Lonzo Ball is going to go up game or play any, you know, Josh Rosen cards are going to go up game, I, you, you know, you've got to really look to turn and burn. You can't, you know, I don't think you can look to hold. You know, look at like Andrew Luck, over, you know, over the last couple of years. Look at Russell Wilson. Not that these guys' cards have gone to zero, but if you bought Andrew Luck cards and didn't get out of them, you know, here you are. Yeah, you could have a nice comeback, could have a really good year, and you look like a genius, but he could also never play again. Or, you know, in Russell Wilson's case, never get back to the team that he had, and yeah, be looked upon as a great quarterback, Hall of Fame type player, but 
at that point, there'll be six, seven, eight, nine, ten other quarterbacks in the league. People would much rather be prospecting and collecting and spending their money on. At that point, he only has diehard fans buying his cards. And again, you look around the Seahawks roster, there might be 10 other guys, maybe even the backup quarterback, that you'd rather be spending your money on. The latest and greatest. So you got to be looking to turn and burn. If you're looking to hold and hope, put your money uh, on the Holy Grail type cards. Whatever is identified as their quote-unquote best card. If you can't afford the quote-unquote best card, which is certainly the case with any established athlete, I would look towards what's considered their best, um, maybe non-Holy Grail type card. I think with, with Mike Trout, it might be like his update rookie or something like that. He might even have a base bowman. I'm not exactly sure. But I definitely would look towards that. You know, if there's an autograph version that says Holy Grail, the non-autograph version is fine. Maybe instead of getting one of them, you get five, six, seven of them. Whatever your budget allows. But I really, if you're holding and hoping cards, holding and hoping on Trout, holding and hoping on, well, Otani, now you're really hoping. Holding and hoping on, on Lonzo Ball or, or any basketball player. Stick to the Holy Grail. And if you don't stick to the Holy Grail, go you know one step below. And if you want to get a wide breadth of their card, you need, you need to, you know, one, know that that's risky. Number two, a better strategy would be to really flip those cards. Flip all the, you know, 2018 stuff, 2016 stuff. Just be flipping that stuff. Speaking of flipping, we got the NBA draft coming up, so that's exciting. I can't say that I watch college basketball with any kind of regularity or any kind of attention. Certainly, maybe with sports betting being legal, maybe I will. Uh, but uh, we got the NBA draft coming up. Should be interesting. Not necessarily, you know, where Jello Ball is going to be drafted, <laughs> but no. It's uh, what I was going to say is. It's not necessarily one of these drafts where I think there's this really marquee player and everybody's like, whoa, this guy's amazing. This guy's really going to be, you know, really marketable, maybe from Alonzo Ball's standpoint or or really kind of a dominating player, maybe from, um, you know, maybe showing my age here like Shaq or something like that. But what's interesting about the NBA draft is it's the first time you start to see rosters starting to be formed because you'll have draft day trades. How many, how often it'll happen, I don't know. Um, sometimes there are now, you even have a little bit of movement before the draft on this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we'll have some draft day, draft week trades. And so you, you will definitely get a sense on, okay, wow, this team is trading these players for these players. So it's going to free up this much cap room. It means they're going to go after this. I think this year's NBA offseason, obviously it depends a lot on how long LeBron James stretches out his announcement on whether he's coming back to Cleveland, whether he's going to LA, whether he's going to uh, Philadelphia or or Houston, wherever he decides to go, maybe the, maybe there's a completely other. Maybe he'll go back to Miami. Depending on how long, I mean, LeBron James is going to make a decision at some point, you know. But when does he stretch it out for as long as possible? Does he, you know, w- what does he do? And oftentimes that could be influenced too by. Um, you know, LeBron James is a player association uh, representative. So it might be advantageous to the other players for LeBron James to stretch it out as long as possible. Maybe it's better for him to sign early. I really don't know. I, you know, honestly, I think LeBron James is going to do what's good for LeBron James and likely his family. And, and God knows at this point what that's going to be, but it certainly will be one of the most covered stories of the summer period. Okay. Cause you, you won't, you know, this will all happen before you have a world series champion. It'll all happen. Um, likely before the football season even starts or really gets into full gear. 
So there won't be a whole lot going on. You'll be, you know, I think baseball season's looking to be really good as, as we wind down the season. I think we'll have prospects come up. I think it's going to be really tight. At least as I look through the National League, it looks like it's going to be really tight um, records-wise. So it should be well, you know, well-followed season throughout. But LeBron James is going to um, demand a lot of the media. And then obviously all, what other players decide to do Paul George and there's there's a couple other marquee uh, free agents out there and certainly with the Lakers in play to get one or both of those players it will add to the media hype so long way of saying I, I think we're headed into a nice NBA offseason where what I, I'm interested to see is does the hype of, of LeBron, the tension and hype of where LeBron James is going to go, what the Lakers are going to do, what does that do to the card values? Right now, I've seen a, a softening. Over the last two months, I've been buying and kind of watching um, really Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma cards because I kind of see there's my greatest upside in terms of this rookie class. Okay, their cards are actually valued less in some cases than Donovan Mitchell and Tatum, and I actually think they're on, they're in positions on teams. Uh, Tatum's in a great position. I, I'm not. I, I think his cards are going to be really solid and really collected. But Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma have a little little bit more marketability, and in some cases, a lot more marketability than than Jason Tatum does. Um, so, you know, I think that's where the upside is, and I'm kind of curious to see, you know. Do the prices keep trending down even as we have all this hype and all this kind of talk around it? Do people even, you know, does that energize card collectors? And I'm talking not necessarily the, you know, the fondlers that listen to 10 years of a sports card show, but the casual person, the person that'll kind of bump up the price to that next level. As we've seen with Otani, you know, people that are paying thousands and thousands of dollars for these cards aren't necessarily all just diehard collectors. These, this is new money flowing in. And so we'll see what happens. I have probably 60 or 70 Kuzmas and Lonzo Balls combined. Uh, probably, it's probably, you know, I probably have 60, 40 or 70, 30 uh, tilted to Lonzo Ball. Um, but I'll probably, you know, I'll probably get up to over 100 of their cards um, so we'll see. We'll see if I see an uptick. You know, you've got the summer league. I don't think either are participating, but you'll definitely see a summer league uptick um, of you know second year players that have a really good summer league, and I think there will be a, a, a lot of attention on that. So so we'll see what happens. And again, I I don't see. I haven't read enough NBA draft kind of previews, but I think if there was that really top end prospect that was going to that that really looked amazing and was going to uh, really make a huge impact maybe year one I think we'd be hearing about him not to say there won't be guy I mean I don't think anybody this time last year was being like oh Donovan Mitchell and da- Jason Tatum are gonna come to the NBA and dominate uh, or you know dominate at times and, and dominate maybe or you know look good at times or, or help their team go deep in the playoffs I don't think anybody thought that so there'll definitely be players that do, do that in the NBA so we'll see what happens, but I don't necessarily think this year's NBA class is really has the attention like last year's did, primarily because of Alonzo Ball. And so, you know, I think it'll hang collectors around, um, you know, one more year if the Lakers can advance, if their pro- their two young prospects can kind of really advance, and maybe maybe the Lakers advance into the playoffs. I think um, there's massive massive upside to be had there so we'll see what happens but as my boy trump would say we'll see what happens uh i think he took that from me because if you've been listening to this uh, podcast for 10 years i think that's basically what we've been saying uh for a long time so that about wraps it up for the show um now i know over the last uh year and a half or so ever since my boy trump was elected we've been having the make america great again segment i don't have a whole lot um you know we've talked a lot about taxes we're in the first year of of the trump taxes and and six months through you should be trying to figure out how to take advantage of this and that's you know set up a business i think this time last year i set up my amazon business so it's really my i actually saw i think even just like last week was kind of my one year anniversary of selling on amazon and it's still going well i'd say it's you know it's about 13 1400 dollars a month 
of net income off, you know, seven, seven to nine thousand dollars in sales. So not huge high margin, but it's very consistent, very predictable, um, relatively low risk. I'm turning my inventory over very quickly. In fact, my sales could be a little bit higher. If I was a little, probably a little more aggressive in buying inventory and maybe holding it or sending maybe a little bit more in than I tend to do, I probably really should just send in more than um, than I am certainly of certain products. So, but it's a learning process, and uh, you know I'm trying to sell a widest range of uh, product mix as possible to not really get exposure to one particular skew or one particular type of segment of the market. So. Um, it's been going good and certainly helped on last, you know, last year, I think I had sixty, $70,000 worth of sales through Amazon, but I really didn't make a lot of money because I had to set up an LLC and I bought a lot of equipment, label makers, and, you know, I made some mistakes and I had to buy just a lot of supplies. There was a decent amount of, you know, I had to buy software and, you know, there was a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't sure on on how aggressive you could be at pricing at certain times, and so certainly through uh, you know this year will be a far more profitable year selling on Amazon. But and so at the same time, the the, the reduction in taxes should be good. Um, we just saw President Trump uh, negotiate with uh, Kim Jong Un. How that turns out, I don't know. Um, I do know through watching do- various documentaries and um, researching the topic just casually th- when it pops up in the news, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in no- North Korea. Okay. There's, you know, yeah, I know they were testing missiles and threatening to hit Guam and California and all this other stuff. But quite frankly, there's even worse stuff going on to the people that live there. And so it's actually really sad the more you look into it. Um, did, did Trump do anything to, to immediately solve that? Did he do anything to really change Kim's mind on, on maybe changing that kind of policy and maybe helping his, his people out a little bit more? No, I don't think so. I don't think Trump did anything. But, you know, the, he at least started a conversation. He at least start, you know, it's kind of, you know, I guess you could parallel a little bit to the, the uh, Me Too movement, okay? Did Harvey Weinstein, you know, stop everybody else in their tracks from doing all this bad stuff? Is all this attention on it going to stop the, the issue? No. But what it did is start a conversation. And so maybe what it does is, is, is um, you know, lead to, to a reduction or lead to changes down the road. And so I think that's what, you know, again... It's nice that, you know, I, I never really, you know, I did hear, Kim, you know, I did hear Kim's threats to bombing California and I think even name specific cities in California. And, and again, maybe some of you guys out there that live in, li- live in Montana or live in Texas or live in Florida or wherever you might live, you might not have been like, ah, whatever. Okay. I live in California and, and Kim was saying he was going to drop a nuclear bomb in my state, now I know California is really big, and if he bombs Los Angeles, it would be tragic, you know. But I'm far enough away where, again, I don't know the physics of nuclear. I know nuclear bombs are really, you know, can can wipe out a whole country, let alone a whole civilization. So um, I'm glad that that risk has been. I don't want to say eliminated or minimized. But at least he's not testing that or saying that. So I'm not saying it made me nervous, but um, did, I did get my attention. And I think that, you know, starting these talks, we have seen, um, you know, a reduction in that type of, of uh, you know, my button is bigger than yours type, type of talk. And at least these guys are friendly. And I think maybe that's the starting point to... to Really, the 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 more tragic and more um, the the bigger story, I think, what's going on in North Korea is what's going on with the people and the people that live there, people that that are basically forced to live there. They can't leave. They can't say anything bad about Kim. God knows anybody would do that. And they're pretty much, um, you know, have very little freedom in terms of political opinion, little freedom economically. You know, no freedom, you know, religious-wise. It's basically a civilization that, that lives with, with no freedom. And so hopefully, 
you know, is, is Trump going to be around long enough to see the unwinding of that? No, he'll, he'll likely be dead before anything like that happens. But maybe him starting a conversation with the guy that's going to be around probably for unless somebody, I, you know, ices him out, snipers him out. He's going to be around for like 40 years, 50 years, maybe. I mean, I know he's eating short ribs and and uh, Hagen dazs ice cream with Trump, so he, you know, he doesn't. You know, I'm sure he's. And you know, when Dennis Rodman shows up, they're not, uh, you know, flipping through magazines and drinking iced teas. <laughs> and certainly, if economically uh, North Korea opens up, I can imagine, uh, you know, Kim's drug habits and and drinking will probably. Uh, soar to new heights as well. So we'll see what happens, as Trump would say, and as I've said for a long time. But I think it's uh, a positive first step. We'll see uh, where it goes. But I think, you know, I actually think it's a positive thing uh, that it is not necessarily going to affect your wallet, not exactly going to affect the stock market in a big way. Because again, I think a lot of people realized, you know, if Kim talked, you know, too much or really did something really stupid, we would have wiped him out in, you know, a 48-hour period, 72-hour period. And that's likely why he came to the table and started negotiating because I think he, even someone like him, is uh, smart enough to realize that might not be his best outcome, especially since he's only in his mid-30s. Might want to stick around a little bit longer before he causes that kind of situation to happen. And so with that, we are done on the sports card show. A rather tame show. Again, we don't have quote unquote CEOs, uh, you know, divorce filings and their website and their drug habits and their guns. We don't have the major sports card company be, I mean, tops is still for sale. I've not heard any information or any news on that. I do know that Neko's very, you know, this is either you love that candy or you hate that candy. I'm on the side. I love Neko's. So when I heard they were going bankrupt, I went to the 99 cent store because that's the all, that's actually the only store that I found that sells their candy. And I went in there and bought a fistful of Neko's and then I saw that they were selling for money. What I should have done is just bought. They had, you know, I probably could have bought 70 or 80 packages of them. And I probably could have gone to maybe a few other uh, 99 cent stores and got hundreds of them. And they were selling for more on Amazon. This was as Neko was going bankrupt or was in bankruptcy. I think I'm not necessarily sure if they were bankrupt or they were about to go bankrupt. But um, basically the, the parent company, which has been around for a long time, was in, in dire financial condition and needed to find a buyer. And if they couldn't find a buyer, that meant Neko's were going away. So people were buying them and hoarding them and the price went up. Well, somebody bought Neko. And so the reason why I'm talking about Neko is, well, Tops is trying to sell a ring pop and uh, bazooka gum and, and whatever other candy subsidiary kind of stems out from those two brands. So there is a market for candy companies. I think Neko sold for a lot, like millions and, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Okay. This was a company that was likely losing money probably for, for a while now. But oftentimes, you know, when you've got a company around for a long time, there's a lot of, a lot of dead weight that could be cut and a lot of processes that probably could be automated and improved and whatnot. And maybe union jobs that can be eliminated or whatever it is. Maybe they start. I mean, I tell you what, if they start making Necos in Mexico, I'm, I'm going to stop eating them. Or in China, I'll stop eating them. But as long as they're made in America, I'll keep eating them. Um, or at least getting, you know, manufactured. Maybe they're getting the sugar from Mexico and the sugar from Canada and the, and the coloring from Zimbabwe. But, uh, it, you know, it is. Uh, you know, it is. I would say that's the only spin I have on top still still being for sale. Um, I can imagine their sales are going to look really good on that baseball side this year. But again, we have the. Uh, I haven't seen any news on this, but the MLB license for tops, I believe, runs through twenty twenty. It is twenty eighteen. Typically, these deals are announced um, in advance of them expiring. And if Tops 
you know, one doesn't get the MLB license or two, uh, another company swoops in, maybe gets half of it or gets all of it, that significantly changes the value that somebody would pay for the tops company. So we'll see what happens. I think it's kind of an interesting situation. I don't, again, I don't have any news on it, but uh, certainly something we'll follow as we go forward. Who knows when we'll be back on the sports card show podcast. But again, I appreciate you all listening. If you have any ideas on what we should be talking about, you can send me a tweet at sports card radio. You can send us an email sports card show at gmail.com. And I gave out, our phone number earlier. I don't have it up now, but uh, you can text us. If you go to sportscardradio.com, click on our article. You'll notice on the sidebar, if you're on a desktop, maybe down below all the way towards the footer of a phone article, you'll be able to find a, find a phone number. You can text us. But until then, thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.